several months ago, I was shocked. I mean, this doesn't happen to me that much, but I was visibly, physically, mentally shocked. And what I was shocked by was a headline. A headline that read this. Chinese scientist says he is the first to create genetically modified babies. Chinese scientist says he is the first to create genetically modified babies. And basically what it means is that he went using a, 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 technolo a technology called CRISPR-Cas9. It's a very inexpensive gene editing tool that was recently discovered a few years ago that enabled him and enables gene editors where the gene edit animals or food to go in and kind of tinker with a human's DNA. And that's exactly what he did. He conceived this child or these children. It was multiple. Many of them died in the process. Very heartbreaking. Conceived these children in a Petri dish and modified their genes whenever they were mere, mere blastocysts, like whenever they, were, whenever they were first conceived, implanted in a mother's womb and brought it to full term. This is what many scientists are calling a monstrous experiment. Something like out of a Shelley novel, something like Frankenstein. And it's caused absolute havoc across the Chinese community. In fact, excuse me, for, in, across the scientific community. And in fact, this scientist who conceived these children is actually missing at the moment. They cannot find him. Perhaps because what he did was something that is irreversible. The scary part about gen genetically editing genes is, A, we have no clue what this is going to do. We have no idea what impact this is going to have. It was to, but on these two girls that were that were brought to full term. No, no idea. But not only that, this is stuck with them. They can't change this. You can't you can't edit this once once they're conceived. And so what ends up happening now is that that, that gene line is going to be passed down from generation to generation. This is a domino effect that is terrible, and and I, my heart goes out to these two babies that that were that were conceived in this in this monstrous way. Guys, this is a crime against humanity, and it joins a long list of crimes against humanity, but a not but also a long list of crimes against conception, crimes against some uh, conception which weren't even conceived of a hundred years ago. 100 years ago, the idea of conjugal acts outside of marriage was very, very condemned, whereas now it's very common, very almost accepted. We can just turn on the TV or any YouTube video, and this is just a part of life, according to people. An idea that, that, that conceiving outside of marriage is just part of life. Contraception, 1960s. In vitro fertilization, that is conceiving a child in a test tube outside of the marital act. And, to top off the list, gene editing. Gene editing. It's a kind of icing on the cake. Looking at these crimes and looking at these issues, it seems almost as if the sun has begun to set on this beautiful gift we call conception. 
this beautiful gift we call the beauty of life, a gift that should be welcomed within a married couple, a gift that should grow families, a gift that should continue the human race, not a gift that should be conceived in trauma and sadness. I'll never forget, I did a, a, a I did a, like an internship, if you will, a chaplain internship in Lafayette General Hospital, and what they did was they, they allowed us to kind of go to all these different different units and work with them. We got to work with the cancer, got to you know interview the cancer nurses and interview the the um, the pathology nurses, the organ donor nurses, and all this, all these different kind of doctors in these different fields. And I was so you know, interesting, interested because like you know there, there was all all these different nurses had different types of like personalities. Like the, the organ donor nurse is always all happy and perky because you know they. They always have a lot of good news that they can give around. Hey, you know, we have an organ. You continue your life. You have a, you have a replacement. Um, the, uh, the, the oncology nurses were actually pretty tame. They were, they were actually, they were, they felt it a great honor to be with somebody towards the end of their life. Um, but what I found fascinating, I would have never, ever in a million years bet money on this. What I found fascinating is the saddest group of nurses were not, not, well, not the nurses that dealt with death, but the nurses that dealt with life. The saddest group of nurses, the nurses that, that were most beat up, the nurses that, the nurses that were most tra- traumatized weren't the ER nurses. They were the labor and delivery nurses. Precisely for this reason. Because most of what they were working with was drama. This conception outside of marriage, these... This contraception and vitro, all these all these like crazy scenarios just led to absolute destruction of the family, and they had to deal with it firsthand. They had to deal with a culture where children meant nothing, and they had to bring children into families who didn't really actually care about them, only cared about the drama in their own selves. And that's what I think we're seeing. More and more. The sun setting on conception. And yet beautifully on this feast of the Immaculate Conception. I think that what we need to remember is that while the sun might set. While conception might be darkened. It only accentuates the life coming out. The light coming out of the beauty of the Immaculate Conception. It only accentuates the light from Mary. The light who shows us how conception is really meant to be. The more and more I look at Mary's conception, the more and more I think that our society isn't going to look at the Immaculate Conception as something all that amazing because it was, it was Mary was immaculately conceived without original sin. But they might look at it and just be amazed at the fact that she was conceived without actual sin having been committed. With her parents just being together. Her parents just being married. Parents just having her. It's a miracle, and yet that is the that is the more rare form of conception these days. More more children are conceived outside of wedlock than inside of wedlock these days. Very sad, and yet, and yet, and yet, the Immaculate Conception gives us a beautiful guidepost on how to get back to that point. Just because we are living in a culture where it might be that conception is brutalized, or it might be that conception is walked all over, doesn't mean that we just have to lay down and take it. Guys, you and I are fighters. You and I are members of the church militant, the the Catholic church, which means we need to stand up to fight this trend. We need to stand up 
to let the world know that there's a better way to do things. That conception is beautiful. And the church outlines seven ways to do this, seven principles which we can live by to ensure that conception is done the right way. The church outlines these seven principles in a work called Donum Vitae. It was a work promulgated by John Paul II, and it was seven principles surrounding the conjugal act, surrounding conception. And the first, it came out in the 90s. It's called Donum Vitae, the gift of life. And the first, the first principle that he lays out is he says that fertility treatments should always assist the conjugal act. Pills, um, pills, kind of motivation, uh, medication. These things can, 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 are all perfectly acceptable ways to help fertility. Completely acceptable. What no medical advancement can do, though, is substitute the conjugal act. You can't take away, and you're not allowed to take away the conjugal act for conception. You have to have them together. And why? Because of the second principle he outlines. The second principle he says is that they're morally inseparable. John Paul II says that life-giving and love-giving are inseparable. Life-giving and love-giving intercourse are absolutely inseparable. You cannot have life. You cannot give life without love. That's called prostitution. And you can't have love-giving without life-giving. That's called masturbation. These things are crimes. These things go against the human person. These things, these things strip us of our identity and take away the beauty of the conjugal act. They isolate them and they ruin them. Another, the third principle that John Paul II makes is that every human being has three things. Dignity, opportunity for sanctity, and a right to life, at least at the very beginning, a right to life. Dignity, sanctity, and a right to life. The fourth point that he makes is that technology and respect for human dignity, the technology should respect, for hum, should respect human dignity, the marital act, and life. Guys, this is a very common problem today. What we're seeing more and more is technologies replacing humanity, replacing humanity, replacing humanity. And instead of humanity using talent and technology, technology is beginning to use humanity. And we're becoming, becoming slaves and zombies to the technology that's advancing. Nothing wrong with technology, but it can get out of control. And I think we're seeing that. Just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Just because we can use our technology like that, the nuclear bomb and blow up the world doesn't mean we should do it. Technology is amoral. It doesn't decide morality one way or the other. We're the ones who need to step up and say what's right and what's wrong. Just because we can do it doesn't mean that it's okay. And especially, and it's certainly not okay if it disrespects human dignity, the marital act, or life itself. The fourth point that our Holy Father makes is that a child has rights in addition to his right to life, in addition to, to his right to, to be born, if you will. And these are them. The first right a child has is a right to be seen as a gift. And this is the point that, 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 that Pope John Paul, the make, Paul II makes. He says that fertility is a reception of a gift and not a right. 
A baby's not a product of an achievement. A, a baby's not a trophy. A baby's not a little reward that comes about because you paid so much money. A baby's a gift. Not something that can be paid for or bought. The next thing to, to realize is that he's not just a gift. The baby's a gift from God. From the Lord. There's, an, there's kind of a divine dignity that comes with a child. Not only that, third... A child has a right to be the fruit of an action of conjugal love, which means that a child conceived of rape or a child conceived of in vitro fertilization inside of a test tube is a victim of injustice. Why? Because the plan of God is not just a good idea. It's the right of every human person. Like a baby born of a drug addiction, The point. this is the point that, that my old moral professor would make is, is, you know, there will be times where a mother will be addicted to drugs and the baby will be born and they'll be craving the drug that the mother was addicted to. That's an injustice to the baby. That's wrong. That is a huge problem. The next right that John Paul II points out is that a, a child has a right, and this is to me one of my, my favorite rights, it really is. A child has a right to be carried in the womb of its mother. When you are in your mother's room, you can say, this is my room, because you have a right to be in that room. Guys, every single child has a right to a womb, and I cannot stress that enough. I, I mean, whenever we, whenever we talk about motherhood, whenever we talk about Mother Church, whenever we talk about the Blessed Virgin Mary, the emphasis, I think, should always be not necessarily on Mary's living motherhood, but the fact that, and the Church's living motherhood, but the fact that if you will, I say living, but the, you know, existential motherhood, but the fact that both have wombs. Whenever the church feeds us, she feeds us from we deep inside of her. She feeds us from within, unconditionally, fully, in the in her womb. Mary, with Mary, we say, "Blessed are the fruit of your womb." Guys, the womb is where we learn what unconditional love really is. The, the womb is where we learn closeness, intimacy. The womb is where we learn belonging. The womb is some of the most essential nine months of our life. And to be stripped of that is to basically be called the Frankenstein. And poor Frankenstein, if you read Shelley's book back in the 1800s, that you written in the 1800s, Frankenstein became murderous and angry and sad because essentially he didn't have a womb. He was isolated. He was alone. He was disconnected. The poor guy. Next right that a child has, and this is certainly the most important right, is the child has a right to birth and a right to be reared within marriage. This is important, guys. In this country, we have a saying that we have liberty and justice for all. But that's not really true, because with our divorce laws and our opportunities to hand children over for custody or this way or that way or give them up in foster homes because we just don't feel like raising them, ends up being ultimately a, dis a dis uh, misjust uh, excuse me, an injustice to the child. An injustice to the child. What John Paul II points out is that we're called to be raised within marriage. We need to see a father love a mother. We need to see our fathers love our mothers. We need to see our mothers love our fathers. We need to see the commitment of love that comes about in marriage. 
Marriage is so critical. And yet whenever you don't have marriage, whenever a child is born to a single mom or a single father or a single whatever, all kinds of problems come out and the child's identity becomes left out. I see this so much in the people I direct. These people that come to me with just with just mother wounds or father wounds and it's and it's something that I'm always overwhelmed with with in dealing and yet praise God the Lord's always there to help but I mean the injustice is very real very real so that's what I mean whenever we say liberty and justice for all the first thing we need to get right and the first thing we need to have liberty and justice for our little ones our children we got to get marriage right key critical finally of course the child has a right to life so those are the rights of the children. And we still have two more principles that John Paul II has pointed out. The sixth principle is that a child has dignity. Dignity no matter how it was conceived. I think this point is very critical. Critical, 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 especially as we continue to trample upon conception. I don't care if the child's genetically modified. I don't care if the child was born in a test tube. I don't care if the child was conceived out of rape. I don't care if the child was conceived outside of marriage. doesn't matter. That child still has dignity. And if anything, we need to love that child because that child from the, from the get-go has been shown a terrible injustice. And if there's anything Christianity te- treats, teaches you and I, it's to rise up to the occasion and care for those to whom injustice has been done unto them. And stand up for those to whom injustice has taken their legs out from under them. A child has dignity no matter how it was conceived. No matter what. Finally, the last principle is this. Claiming an alleged right to a child or violating any of the other rights mentioned above is a form of domination, is a form of injustice. What the Pope is basically getting at is just because you're bigger than that child doesn't mean you can take advantage of them. Whenever a gay couple is claiming they have a reg light to the light right to a child, they're essentially being bullies. They're saying, we deserve this child. We have a right. Why? Because we're bigger. We're better than the child. We can think. We can move. We can exist. That's more than a child. That's more than an embryo can do. And so what did that happen? If you take advantage of that child, what you're doing is you're taking advantage of some of the smallest people in existence. And you just can't do that. You can't. You can't dominate somebody just because you're bigger than they are. That's, that's first grade 101. Shoot, that's preschool 101. Just because you're bigger than somebody does not give you the right to dominate them. And that especially applies to our littlest ones. And that especially applies to conception. What you can do is you can adopt. But adoption isn't, isn't dominating them. Adoption isn't saying, I have a right to have a child and I'm going to conceive in a petri dish and I'm going to put them in my womb. No, that's domination. Adoption is saying, like, look, this child was born. This child is a victim of a, of a terrible tragedy. I'm going to take him in. I'm going to take him. I'm going to open my, my hometown. Adoption sees the child as equal, sees the child with dignity, sees the child with love. It does not demand that that child be your product. It doesn't turn that child into, sl- into a, your slave. It doesn't turn that child into something that you can dominate. We abolish slavery. Unfortunately, that ha- we have not caught up to abolishing the slavery. We have abolished slavery of adults. It's time to abolish slavery of children. 
And that's very much very real whenever we trample all over, all over the gift of conception by insisting on conceiving children outside of the womb. Guys, the reason why I tell you this is not because I think y'all are going to go do this. It's not because I don't trust y'all. No, I really do. I think y'all are great. The reason why I tell you guys this is because y'all are fighters. I've been here at Wisdom and been proud of you guys. And what I've seen is you guys like to stand up for what's right, and that makes you very proud, very happy. And the reason why I bring this up is there might come a time whenever we're going to have to vote on this. There might come a time whenever we're going to have the opportunity to legislate right and wrong. And I bring this up so that you will be ready to rise to that occasion, to stand up as the church militant and make your voice known. Why? So that in this darkness that is surrounding conception, you guys, through the grace of God, might raise the flag, raise the standard of the beauty of the Immaculate Conception. Letting the world know how conception is really supposed to be done. Amen.